Eric, one of the pastors here. Um, and real quick, how come nobody ever sits right here? Is it me? I, I, yeah. Or there. Sheesh. Anyway, <laughs> glad you guys are here. Um, we're going to start with a history quiz. We have a picture here. What is this a picture of? Any idea? The Oregon Trail. Yeah. So, I mean, isn't that kind of cool, though? These ruts are still there from 150 years ago, that Oregon Trail where people would take those wagons on their way to Oregon, uh, and hundreds and hundreds of wagons, right, going over years and years, these ruts are still there. Now, that's old, but here's a picture of something maybe more, re I never experienced a wagon in a rut, um, but two wheels in a rut is a little bit worse, I think, because two wheels, right, you're stuck, how do you get out? And maybe you've experienced that on a bicycle or, or a motorcycle, and you're either stuck in the rut until it ends, or there's some strategies, right, to get out of the rut. And life can be like that as well. And I wanted to ask you that this morning. Are you, are you in a rut in life, right? Whether it's spiritually or feels like some other rut, uh, you're struggling with certain relationships that you've continued to struggle with, um, maybe certain habits. You, you wish you could quit, but you just, you can't, right? Or, or sin, ruts that you're just kind of stuck in. You're, you're doing life. And you're going along, and it's like you, you're looking over here, and you see where you'd like to be, right? You kind of have an idea. We talk a lot here about the abundant life. It was even in that intro there, the abundant life. And you look over there, and it's like, ooh, there's a path that goes by this pretty waterfall, and there's a bunch of flowers, and I feel like I'm just in this dirty rut going this way, and I'd like to be over there. Well, kind of like in, on a motorcycle or a bike, there's strategies to get out of the rut. For the next three weeks, we want to talk about ways to get out of kind of our, our life ruts, Again, whether it's sin or, or something else, or maybe, maybe you're one of those who say, I've been a believer a long time. I feel like things are going okay. But if you're honest, you're like, I'm bored. I, I mean, I'm not going to have a show of hands, but I've sure been there in my Christian life. I'm, I'm kind of bored with it. And I think that can be a rut as well, because I believe following Jesus is exciting and, and should always be exciting. I mean, we get in ruts and we need to get out of those, but God has great things planned for us. And so we're going to spend three weeks looking at kind of this, this topic. Now, if you come to Common Ground often, you know most of the time what we do is we go through a book, we look at a passage, and our whole point is, what does this passage say? What does it mean? And so what does it mean to us? Well, these three weeks, we're doing more of a application study. Again, we're going to take every passage in context. We're not going to just say what we want and then grab a verse and say, hey, this supports what I want to say. But we're going to look at concepts that will help us get to where God wants us to be. Because let's be honest, God's way is best. This isn't uh, like a self-help study of like, hey, be your best you. Um, but it kind of is <laughs> because God's best for you brings him the most glory, but it's also best for you. So, so the path over there, that's God's plan. We really want to be there because it, it is best for you. And so we're going to get into this. Now, when, when Common Ground began, um, some years ago, God kind of communicated to me, said, Carson City, you know, if you live here, you've been here, there's a lot of good churches, doesn't really need another church. And I believe that, you know, I called it, there's a lot of good churches. He said, but I think Carson City needs another kind of church. And so God kind of clarified some of that in my heart and in the leadership as we began. What does that mean, another kind of church? And there was one belief um, that I think a lot of Christians hold that I know I've wrestled with and, and still do um, in our life that really draws us the wrong way, and it's this. We have this belief that we were saved for a task to perform. Th that 
life is about, our Christian life is about doing certain things for God, right? I'm saved. God saved, Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead to save me. And now he sends me out to do a lot of good things for him. Now I need to go work hard at it. The truth is that we are not saved for a task to perform, but we are saved for a relationship to enjoy. This is where we're starting today. This is huge. This will set the stage for the next three weeks. You are not saved for a task to perform, but for a relationship to enjoy. You know, I used to definitely for sure hold this belief. And so I thought if I spend time, you know, reading the Bible and I go to church and I do good things, then I'm going to get a good grade from God on my spiritual report card. Right, as if he's the teacher there, right? And he's marking down, ooh, Derek, you did this. Ooh, oh, good job. I'll erase that one, right? And there's this report card. And that gets us in a, a different idea of the Christian life than I think what God has planned for us. So turn, if you would, to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Um, if you don't want to turn there, it's going to be on the screen, but I encourage you to turn there. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, and it's page 905. 905, but Matthew 11, we're going to be in verse 28, and we're going to, this is all we're looking at, this verse, and then we're going to kind of jump around a little bit, but this verse, we're going to see Jesus' invitation to everyone, in his invitation to you and to me. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus says this, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What are the words that stick out in that invitation? Rest, <laughs> twice, easy, light. How many of us would honestly say, my Christian life, my following Jesus is restful, easy, and light. Well, Jesus invites us into that life, a life that is easy, restful, and light. It doesn't mean we don't do anything, but we're talking here about what we would call the abundant life, that God produces these things in us of easy rest and light. A lot of us, especially if we grew up in the church maybe and, and, and had rules and legalism, which honestly rules and law are, are good. There's good aspects of that. We grew up with kind of a burden of religiosity, right? That God needs certain things from me. I think few Christians would use th these three words to define their Christian life. In, in John 8, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free. Why do so few people actually attend church in North America? I think because at least some grew up and there's this idea not of freedom, but of, of bondage. Bondage to religion or having to do these things or if I go there, they just want my money, those things, rather than freedom. Now, personally, I have a, an achiever personality, right? I like to get things done. I like to accomplish things. Uh, I like to be able to stop and look and like, oh, look what I built. Look what I accomplished. Well, that's kind of hard for me now. My, my call is to be a pastor. So how do I achieve, right, as, as a professional Christian, <laughs> right? All the things that I want to achieve are for God's kingdom. I want to do things. I want to see his kingdom grow. I want to see you all grow in your faith, deepen your love for him. I, I want to see marriages getting all these things. So, so me, for me to achieve is all this spiritual stuff, right? But 
then I look at scripture and I, I realize God doesn't need me. Well, that's kind of hard. It was a little bit easier when I was uh, doing, when I was a contractor. I could go do a job, complete it, have a happy customer, right? I, like, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Here, all the things I want to do, God says he's going to do without me. Psalm 46.10 says, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. I love that verse. For me, there's a lot of freedom in that. Cease striving. The things, and this is personal to me, the things, Derek, you want to see done, I promise I'm going to do them without you, right? I, I don't need you. Now, honestly, it, he doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. The great thing is he wants to do stuff through us, but that's where we want to begin in this whole kind of study, is it's not about what we do. He doesn't need us. It's not about accomplishing us. Look, look back, or accomplishing for him. Look at that verse. It says, cease striving and what? Know that I am God. Know. We are invited into a relationship with the living God. That's why he created us. Again, he wants a relationship, not for us to serve him and do all these things because he needs it. Uh, you read scripture. God is often referred to as father. Now, if you're a parent, or you can't even imagine being a parent, do parents want their kids to do a bunch of stuff and serve them if they're loving them well? No, the idea really is relationship. Uh, Elise and I got to go on a father-daughter dance date yesterday. It was awesome. Dads, if you ever want to do something like that, it's about this time each year in Virginia City, and it's really cool. Um, but we go up, you know, and we have a meal here and get a drink here, and then we go to a dance and boogie. Um, but, but I don't, you know, I didn't want to do that because I need something from my daughter Elise. I, I did it because I, I want to sit there and, and eat a cheeseburger and talk, right? And just relate. And that is more of what God wants with us. Not for us to go work hard. He, he just wants a relationship, a loving relationship. So here's a principle. The primary call in my life is not to do something for Jesus. The primary call in my life is to be with Jesus. That's freedom. That's life. That's rest. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. But the concept here is very different. The primary call is to be with him. And so then that leads to this next idea, that everything that Jesus wants to do through my life will be as an overflow of what he does in my life. So often we get saved, which is great. We understand what Jesus did. It's like, well, then I need to go work hard for him. I need to go out there and kind of make God think it was worth saving me, right? Do enough. Rather, what he wants to do through will simply be an overflow of my intimacy with him. So how does that start? What does any relationship require? Time. Time. So that's, that's a big idea this week. Time with God. God time. If you see over here, we, we see our three key relationships in the Christian life. And the first one, Jesus. God wants to change us. None of us have arrived yet. And so we say here, Jesus is the essence of transformation. Well, what does that take? It takes time. God time. Getting out of the rut begins with consistent time with God. Am I talking about quiet time? Devotional. Yes. Am I talking about only that? No, absolutely not. When I was growing up, I remember going to camp. I was saved young and going to, to church camp. And one of the big things was read your Bible, spend time. And I would come home. I remember being eight years old. And I had my red Bible that my great-grandma gave me and my name was on it. 
and I'd come home at eight, nine years old, and every day I'm going to read my, and I loved it. I really did. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed connecting with God and learning how to pray, and then a week later I wouldn't do it anymore, y you know. Um, and I think that's how it goes. But I am talking about that time. That time is, is huge, but it doesn't end there. What is the word that we use all the time when we're talking about our living relationship with God? It's abiding. So it's a moment-by-moment -moment dependence on God. But that starts, I'll be honest, a part of that is a committed time with God. Let's call it 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day of just time alone with God. Not just throwing out what we, what we need, but, but just talking and listening. How often are our prayers just us talking? And how often is our prayer maybe reading scripture and then meditating on it? Just thinking about what he might want to say to us. That's what I mean by time with God. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. That is abiding. Apart from him, you can do little things. No, apart from him, we can do nothing. Nothing about everything of value he wants to do will be of an overflow of my abiding relationship with him. Do we get that yet? Have I said that enough? All right. So. Why is being with God so important? Let's answer that question with three other questions. Now, I'm going to ask these three questions, and you're going to be tempted to answer, but don't. Because if you answer it out loud, you might regret it. Here's the first question. Does a Christian want to sin? Think about that. Now, I would say a lot of these ruts that we have, sin is the cause, whether it's big sin or what we call little sin. Does a Christian want to sin? Well, we would say we're tempted, right? Sin looks good, so we must want to. We often do it, right? So we must want to sin. Well, let me ask you this. When you sin, how do you really feel about that sin? If we're honest, we, we're not crazy about it. It looks good, we give in, and then afterward, we regret it. If we really love Jesus, there's that piece of us. We regret that. It, we thought it was what we wanted, and afterward, it wasn't really what we wanted, but we might do it again later. But if we're honest, we really don't want to sin, at least in our heart of hearts. Paul says it this way. I love this. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? He, he shares that after his, his struggle, right? He says, I struggle with my flesh. My flesh wants to sin, it's drawn to sin, but my spirit does not, and so I'm fighting with myself, right? It's this picture of like a boxing match with yourself. And then he cries out, oh, wretched man that I am, I really don't want to go that way, I want to go your way. And we agree with that. So, next question. Don't answer. Does a Christian have to sin? Some years ago, I was sitting with one of my mentors, and he said, if Jesus is on the throne of your life, will you sin? I said, I'm human, yes. Right? I, I still live in this body of, of flesh. Yes. He's like, hmm. If Jesus is on the throne of your life, will you sin? Same question. Does a Christian have to sin? Most of us would say yes. Why? Because we do. We haven't met anybody that's sinless yet. But Scripture's the authority. And what does Scripture say? Romans 6, 6 and 7. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved 
to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So right here, Paul is writing that if we are saved, we belong to Jesus, we are united to his death and to his resurrection, and so we are now dead to sin. That bond that sin has on us before is, is broken. Those chains are, are broken. We don't have to. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I like that verse because it's honest with our struggle. Our flesh has desires. They're against what God would have. They're against what our spirit wants. And so we have this struggle. But it's, what does he say? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. So in our heart of hearts, we don't want to. And we don't have to. Looks like Scripture says it, not me. Well, then what about temptation? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What does that verse say? You're saved. You're strong enough to avoid sin. Uh uh You go be faithful. No, it says when you're tempted, he is faithful to provide a way of escape. There is no temptation where you're like, I have to, I'm stuck. Every single one, God provides a way. It might be you just stop, run, right? You, you look at Joseph in the Old Testament when he's tempted, and he runs away. He leaves his coat behind. He's like, I'm, right? God will always provide a way of escape. He will. So in Christ, you're dead to sin. You're set free from sin. And in every moment of temptation, God is faithful to provide a way out. So we don't have to sin. We don't really want to sin. So here's the last question. Why do we sin? Why do we sin? We're going to kind of wrap up with one verse here. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we often read that? And I'll be honest, this is me. <laughs> How do I often read that? If I love you, I'm going to work really hard to obey you. If I love God, proof of my love is my obedience. I go work hard. Read that differently. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. The idea of obedience as an overflow of the love. So, so the focus on that, if you love me. I, through you, will produce obedience. If you love me, you will obey my commands. A, a relationship, not go do it. Right? Right here, I don't believe Jesus is saying, go work hard now. He's saying, love me. Just lean on me, and, and then I will produce. You will obey my commands. You'll be on that path, right? If you're on this rut, and you want to be over there, it looks good. Again, the waterfall, the birds are chirping. There's no birds over here, right? O over there, there's pretty flowers. I want to be there. God says, well, then love me. I will lead you there. Not find your way. and Just love me. Just lean on me. Man, that's hard for an achiever. <laughs> I want to wake up. I want to go do. All right, what can I accomplish? It's like, eh, just sit down. But if I sit down, I won't accomplish anything. Eh, <laughs> just be with me, right? I, I, you just, I, if you're married, how often does your wife do that? Just sit down and be with me. Well, just walk with me while I accomplish things. No, just sit and look at me. Ugh. We're just, I, I'm being honest. But yet when I do it, I love it. Whew, got out of that hole. <laughs> but 
But what we see here is that our obedience is in direct proportion to our love. So now I'm going to offend you. You sin because you don't love God. That's what we see here. Now, again, when you point the finger, right, you've heard this, three fingers are pointing back at you. So, I mean, this is, this is a sermon to me. This is one of those I don't like preparing because the whole time God's talking to me and he's like, hey, you figure this out. You figure this out before you tell anybody. So uh, this is us. Why do I sin? Because I don't love God. Now, I, I've struggled with this in my own life. When, when I've sinned, I go, God, do I not know you? Do I not love you? What's my problem? I was saved really young. And I believe for real, I fell in love with him young. And then I did some horrible things. And after, I'm like, what's, oh my goodness, God, am I not saved? Do I not love you? But I do. And so honestly, let's, let's wrestle with that. I think it's, we don't love him enough. Right? When, when, when that temptation comes or whatever, it's like, mm, Jesus or this. I love you, Jesus. But I, I don't love him enough. Because again, our obedience is in direct proportion to our love. There is a direct line between my intimate love relationship with God and my obedience to him. And therefore, my peace, joy, and the abundant life. So, another question, why don't we love God more? We don't know him. Again, not that we don't know him at all but we don't know him to the measure that we could. Now, this isn't a slap in the face. This isn't one of those come to church and the pastor beats you with the Bible. This is more of an invitation, right? Let's just be honest with this. We're all on a path. None of us have arrived, right? If you think you've arrived, this is not the church for you. None of us have arrived. And so our struggle with sin is because we don't love God enough. We don't love him enough because we don't know him enough. Again, what, what does it say in Psalms? Or cease, cease striving and know that I am God. Stop working so hard. Spend some time knowing me. Again, the more we know, the more we love. So Cal and I have been married now almost 20 years. And I can honestly say I love her more now than I did then. Why? I know her a lot more now than I did. We've had 20 years of me watching her be a mom, a great mom. We've had 20 years of me watching her sacrifice, of me saying things like, hey, let's sell our house and go live in a, a trailer, right, with no water and no electricity. You know, she's like, okay, <laughs> right? We have 20 years of doing these things and, and me watching, my love for her has grown. Why? Because of time, time. The more we know God, the more we love God. Again, God saved you not just to save you, but so you would know him. And there's only way, one way to do that, and that is time. I, imagine if I gave Callie this proposal 20 years ago. Callie, I love you. Will you marry me? And here's what I commit to. I'm going to come visit you once a week. <laughs> once a week, we're going to spend a couple hours together, right? It's going to be great. Uh, we'll have some music. Um, we'll be together. And then another night, like one night a week, we'll get together with a group of other people in their house. And, and we'll just talk about real life stuff, and that'll be cool. Um, other than that, you, you really won't hear from me unless I really need something. Um, and if I really need something, then I'm going to call you, and I'm going to text you, and I'm going to email you, and I'm going to get all my friends to call you, text you, and email you too um, if I need something. But other than that, you know, I'll just see you twice a week. That's silly, <laughs> right? That, that's not a relationship. And she would probably slap me and walk away, and rightly so. But yet, don't we do that with God? God, I, I love you. I, I, I'm committed. You're Lord of my life, and I will see you Sunday. 
most Sundays, unless the Broncos are playing, or it's really nice out, or it's really cold and I can go skiing, right? Um, and, and once a week, right, I'll get together with some gr- a group and we'll talk about you and we'll, we'll talk to you together, um, again, unless a good movie's on. Um, other than that, you won't hear from me unless I really need something, and then I'm going to blow your phone up. <laughs> Right, I'll be, I'll be praying to you, not, I mean, it, as long as I need something. But as soon as you, then you give me, I'll probably wander off again. I, I mean, we, we won't say that that's our approach, but in our life, isn't that often what we do? Right? It's like going to God's word as a meal and we, we eat once a week. I mean, we would die if we only ate once a week, or, or at least we wouldn't be healthy. We need time with God. So why don't we spend the time with him? Man, this is a rough week. I'm being honest. Why don't we spend time with him? Because we don't see the need. Right? Why do you eat? You know you need food. Why do you breathe? You know you need air. Why don't we spend time with God? At least not enough. Or, or enough committed. Because at our hearts, we don't feel we have the need. It's called pride. Right? We feel independent. This is one of those things, again, and I think a lot of you could probably relate. As an achiever, I'm I'm an independent person, right? I can do stuff, whatever. The Christian life is not about us becoming, you know, bold and independent, right? It's us becoming humble and dependent. I mean, that's the opposite of what we want, right? We want to be strong, not weak and dependent, but that's what he calls us to. You remember when your kids, if you you had kids, they got to that age where they can uh, do it themselves. I don't need your help. I can do it myself. Uh, our oldest one, Lydia, is now 18, um, and, you know, she hit this probably younger than most, um, and it, it was on everything, but I remember a seatbelt was kind of those, you know, we get in, she's three years old, whatever, let me, I can do it myself, well, we're going to be late, <laughs> right, and she, she couldn't quite do it yet, uh, in fact, my, my dad was visiting once when she was in that stage, and, uh, she sat down, and he's like, all right, buckle up. And I, you know, leading over. She says, I can do it myself. And he said, no, you can't. <laughs> like, great, we're done. I'll, I'll be here until, you know, she works out, you know, until finally can do it and glare at him. Um, but what would often happen in those situations, right? I can do it myself. Well, I know she can, and we got to get there. And so, you know, I, I, I grab the handle, you know, and, and move it and, and, she's put, and I just put my hand on hers, and she doesn't really realize and guide it. Click, right? I did it, Dad. Did you? <laughs> really, what, what was it? I did it through her, right? And isn't that what God wants to do? He wants us to do great things, but he wants to do it through us. And then he is the power, and he gets the credit, and whatever happens is way greater than anything we could do in our flesh, and any of that is simply an overflow of intimacy with him. And again, the reason we don't is pride. James 4, 6. Again, this is Jesus' half-brother who writes this. He says, but he gives greater grace. He is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is grace? It is God doing in us for us and through us what we can't do on our own. That's grace. And it comes from humility. It comes not from us getting out of bed and going, I can do it. It comes from us getting out of bed going, I need you. That's humility. That's humility. God, I am desperate 
for you. Time with God means we get to know God. As we get to know God, we love him. As our love grows, he produces obedience through us, and we realize we're, we're no longer in this rut. We're over here on the path that God wants for us that is best for us as well. The first step to getting out of our ruts is to spend consistent time with God in prayer and scripture while holding on to that intimacy through our day. I don't want us to make the mistake. I'm just talking about quiet time, devotional. And that's it. I do my fi- It starts there. I mean, let's be completely honest. Is any relationship going to grow without some time face-to-face? No. How, how about just 15 minutes a day, me and God, right? I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to listen to you. And then I'm going to abide in you as we move through the day. And you agree with me. In fact, some of you already have it in your head, I'm going to do this every day. Yep, you're right, Pastor Derek, I've been struggling, and I'm going to do it. Well, good, do. <laughs> and, and let me encourage you, find a devotional, right? Grab something that works for you. Uh, Callie, in our group, we've been talking some about this idea, and, and uh, someone in our group, I don't remember who it was, shared with Callie something they use that helps with this uh, time in Scripture and meditating, and now she's using it. Part of, together, ask, ask others, what do you do that works for you? And then try, but here's the thing. Don't make it legalistic. <laughs> because when we make it legalistic, I'm going to do it. And then I don't, now I feel guilty, right? It, there's some shame in that. Or I, I do it good for longer. Ooh, now I'm proud of myself. And now I get to tell, all you, I've been doing it for 30 days straight, right? And then when you don't, then you feel more shame, and then you have to fake it. <laughs> Rather, the idea here is consistency. Now, I would say, challenge, let's do this every day. Yes, find something. Uh, we have some great devotionals out there. One is the life of a Jesus follower. Again, when Common Ground began, I was going to write something like that. And then I found this one from Hope Church in Las Vegas. I'm like, this is better than anything I could ever write. Can we buy these? So we have those and, and made them available. But, but start somewhere. And the, again, be consistent. If you miss a day, guess God isn't up there going, right? Because he didn't save you for a task to perform. He saved you for a relationship to enjoy. So he's just inviting you, come back. I'm here. Right? I'm not mad at you. you. You miss yes. Whatever. I'm not mad. Come back. Like, let's hang out. Let's talk. And so the goal, I think, would be consistent. And then beginning with humility. Right? It's a simple waking up before your feet hit the floor. God, I need you. God, I need you today. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I need you. Listen, it is not possible for you to live the Christian life. It is only possible for Jesus to live his life in and through you, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, nothing. So when we wake up and we get on with our day and we do this, we are telling God, I don't really need you. We, we don't believe that, we don't feel it, but we act that way out when we don't put time aside to spend with him alone. So how do we begin? Somewhere, anywhere, <laughs> honestly, the YouTube Bible app, a devotional thing, begin anywhere. Talk to those in your group, what works, just try something and begin every day confessing your need for God and your inability to do anything of real value in your own strength. Right, that's in our next steps. If you filled out, if you, know, if you scan the thing or you have it, the whatever it is, the bulletin, we have on their next steps. Uh, number two on those is find a devotional tool to help you spend consistent time with God. Or three, identify an area where you operate in your own strength apart 
from dependence on Jesus and then confess that to him. I'm going to read Matthew 11, 28 to 30 one more time. This is Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is his invitation and his promise. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you. I thank you that your invitation is, is to a relationship, uh, not to a job. Um, you do have good things, and elsewhere you, you talk a lot. You have saved us for good works that you prepared beforehand that we would walk in them.